Welcome back listeners, quote unquote with KK. Today we are discussing the issue of cryptocurrency. Let me set the context to what we are going to discuss and who we have invited for our podcast. Back pre-COVID days, I attended a marathon three-hour talk given by Dr. Ashwat Damodaran on cryptocurrency and its valuation in Bombay. And he concluded that crypto has no value and no store in value and its valuation is fairly arbitrary, including the value of Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum and so on. And very recently, he altered his views and he now thinks that crypto is the new gold, which people are mining, given its rarity and its shortage. And during pandemic, there was a huge surge in various cryptocurrencies across the world. And on the other hand, many countries also banned private cryptocurrencies or are planning issue their own digital currencies managed by their own central bank. And in this whole crossfire, closer home in the one, we saw the ban on cryptocurrency being removed by our Honorable Supreme Court. And then there was the whole blasting of ads and other cricketing events by different cryptocurrency exchanges and derivative products. And as a result, we saw this growth in the number of users and investors to about 2 million. And India became one of the major buyers of crypto assets and now hold around $1.5 billion. And recently, in our budget, these assets have been bought into the tax ambit. Now, go around on YouTube and various social media channels that have sprung up. There are various varied and divergent views and maybe misleading views on the current policy and taxation announcement and the regulation of crypto in India. To clear all the air around this and the direction of crypto regulations in India, I have called one of my fellow angel investors from Mumbai Angels, Ajit Kurana, to talk on this. Let me take a minute in putting his solid profile forward to you and why he deserves to be an authority in India to talk about this. So Ajit and I go back 2010 when I was starting Bangalore Angels with my friends from Mumbai Angels. And we enjoyed investing into a couple of startups and some of them we have successfully exited also. Just before the pre-event, we were just reminiscing some of the work and what we enjoyed doing and working together as well. However, Ajit has and his career has taken a very 360 degree turn after being an angel investor when he became the CEO of ZPay, which is one of India's crypto exchanges. And then later, Later on, he was part of the blockchain and cryptocurrency committee, which fought and put the thought leadership forward to fight the ban against cryptocurrency in India, which was ruled against the government. And we could see crypto being traded once again. And all the effort and work done by Ajit and his colleagues uh, have paid off. Moreover, Ajit has been a serial entrepreneur. He has done several startups. He works on mentoring and guiding startups, not just in the crypto space, but he has also guided and mentored successfully some of the startups that we have also invested. And because of his good work, we have got several multiples of returns as well. So I'm really glad that Ajit has been part of this podcast today. And I welcome Ajit to our podcast show. And thanks, Ajit, for joining us and spending this time and clearing the air on several misconceptions on crypto and digital currency. Hey, Ajit, let me start with a, a 101 question. You know, there are a lot of people saying a lot of things. What is crypto? What is Bitcoin? What is digital currency? What is blockchain? Could you take a few minutes and just clear the definition of what all these are and what is 
the thing that the government wants to ban or regulate in the future and the government will tax from the profits of trading or holding or creating it as a as an asset which they want to now bring under the ambit of the regulation Got it. so first let me tell you why the need for such reactions and extreme views and also confusion arises for example when net banking start or you know decade or so decade and a half later when paytm and digital wallets started why did we not undergo such confusion you know when you move from paper and paper money and check based system because the underlying technology the business processes they were never known to the users like you know for example people didn't have to find out when you have a your data stored in a bank where is the data actually stored where is this cloud is it within india who controls it those issues while they may be relevant to experts they were never known to the users however what has happened with crypto is because automatically start talking about things like blockchain we start talking about decentralization we start talking about the fact that you can mine effectively print your own money if crypto is money because of all of those things we have rightly or wrongly introduced a lot of technicalities and you know business processes into the discussion as opposed to remaining at a very simple level so while the crypto lovers if i may use that over simplified term actually love to talk about how the world will change how blockchain will create decentralized structures there are some other people typically people who have an investment background typically people from the stock market but also other forms of investment who will just look at the speculative element or the market forces element of crypto and feel that you know what this is completely wild this seems to defy all common sense that they may have developed in investing in gold real estate stock market startups or whatever other asset classes and this just doesn't make sense it is not sustainable so what has happened is that effectively we are all playing the nine blind men and the uh, nine blind men and the elephant we are all touching different aspects of crypto and uh, which is why you will hear some people say things like no 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 blockchain is very good we support blockchain but we don't support not realizing that a public block which is a blockchain that is not owned by one owned and controlled by one entity cannot run without some sort of a token so you can have tokenless architectures but then those are necessarily controlled by a central entity so coming to your specific question see I think I can just explain the help of an example. So I want to send you hundred rupees from my bank account right now. Whether I use a UPI or NEFT, RTGS, uh, RTGS cannot be done for hundred IMPS or whatever. I will basically instruct my bank to give money to your bank with details as to what your account. Is. So my bank, let's say HDFC Bank, has tons of hardware, software, people, building, all running their digital infrastructure to facilitate what they call net banking, which will then, because of the way it works, send it to your bank, which let's say is ICICI Bank, which has its own infrastructure. procedures software security mechanisms and the money reach uh, people don't know this people think that a button click uh, you know magically creates the money there if i were to send you 100 rupee worth of bitcoin however now there is no hdfc bank there is no icici bank there is no organization in between that literally as in please your viewers may who don't know bitcoin may not you know fully realize that literally no organization because people may have heard that there are exchanges etc but they don't play any role in this and this is done technology which means if you as in anybody with basic common sense knows that surely there must be computer systems that do it there must be software that does it those computers have to run which consume electricity and maybe there are many of them they could be located everywhere so who is bearing the cost of all and why are they doing that what is their vested in so as to run let's call it an autonomous system like this there has to be some governance and some incentive bitcoin which was the first token and i'm at this point talking only of bitcoin but frankly over time ethereum etc did something similar created a system where it says you know to participate in the network by participate it means to maintain a copy of the database call it a distributed ledger 
to run your hardware, to run your software. So you are giving your own resources, time, effort, money, electricity, etc. I will periodically give the participants a chance to get a token of appreciation. I'm using the term token of appreciation as my own uh, creation. And this token will have a name called Bitcoin. Unintended, I would say. Yeah, because it's a token. And literally, that is what it is. The very act of you participating in the system and getting a token of appreciation does not lend that token any market. However, people who see what is going on, that we have created an autonomous system of transferring values such as, you know, banking network transfers value, PayPal transfers value, MoneyGram, Western Union, Visa network, all of these transfer value, but they are huge infrastructure and centralized structures and market valuations, but we have created an autonomous system of achieving the same L outcome. They say, hey, this is huge. And tomorrow, e-commerce could be autonomous. Uber could, like structure could be autonomous. Many things could be autonomous. So they say, you know, this token has some more. And that is where a market gets created for. Right? If literally everybody in the world thought that Bitcoin has no value, it will have zero value. Just like if nobody, everybody thought that gold had no value, it will have no value. So there is definitely that belief system. It stems from the fact that people believe that something great is happening. So this is all there is to Bitcoin. Then later other cryptocurrencies came, most notably in 2013, Ethereum came, which had most or all of the characteristics of Bitcoin. But it also, because it had the second mover advantage, it became a little more programmable and controllable and flexible. So that is where the concept of smart contract, which is basically nothing but programmability came in. And that is why today Ethereum is one of the biggest cryptocurrencies in terms of usage, transactions, etc. And since then, a lot more evolution has happened, a lot more cryptocurrencies come. This is at the heart of it. If one says, I don't care about any of this, tell me why the price has gone up from, I don't know, one cent a decade ago or whatever it was, one dollar a decade ago to $45,000, well, that is what the market deemed, right? If some people say, you know, what is the guarantee because there is no government supporting it, what is the guarantee it won't go down to zero? Well, there is absolutely no guarantee and if you look at the history of money and monetary systems around the world, there have been monies of various forms which have gone down to zero. And Likewise, there is no guarantee that the Indian rupee or euro or dollar also won't go down to zero, especially with the huge inflation of asset prices and deflation of purchase power. So that is roughly, I would say, what this entire game is about. It became more interesting later, but I'm sure there'll be other questions that I can do that. All right. I just want to ask you one more additional corollary question. What is a digital currency? EU wants to now issue, we are hearing that in the budget, digital rupee is going to be issued by our Reserve Bank. Certain countries like the Bahamas, Antigua, Barbados, St. Louis, Granada, they have issued a digital currency on the same back end of the blockchain. What is the difference between a digital currency issued by a central bank versus a cryptocurrency issued by a private issue? So I must actually add one more comparison. So let us say the Indian digital rupee issued by RBI, which hasn't yet been issued, but someday will be issued versus Bitcoin versus the UPI or bank accounts one rupee. You know, so how do you compare all of this? 20 countries today are talking about and are at various stages of discussion and implementation. Um, actually, that is a very difficult to understand word because we have been able to digitally transmit money with KTM, with UPI, with net banking, with NEFT. So, you know, wasn't that digital money? So it is a little difficult to explain what is really going on here. Having said that, I personally think that the best name for what the central bankers are presently talking about is cryptocurrency. Because it will be based on cryptographic or maybe even non-cryptographic structure. So I'll explain what that is. You know, in, uh, what was it, November 8, 2016, when India went through demonetization, if I'm not mistaken, that was the day. There were many reasons why India went through demonetization. And, but one of them was that, you know, digital money 
or money through banking networks are far more traced than let us say currency. Despite that, globally as in India, the use of currency notes is very very prevalent. And if we try to see why that is, there are many reasons but I am focusing on one very important nature of paper money is that it is peer to peer. So for example, if I, you and I are close to each other, namely physically located close by, I can literally just hand you a 500 rupee note. I don't have to do KYC anywhere, I don't have to have an account anywhere, I don't have to have a you know, some sort of a digital wallet, I can just hand it to you, now it is yours. It is easily spendable, you can do whatever you like with it and this ease of uh, not having to affiliate yourself with an organization, get their app or KYC with them or you know, have to report what is going on has been one of the features that makes paper-based money so convenient and easy to What digital money does, is your specific question, what digital currency does, is that it creates a peer-to-peer format of money. So when you have to have UPI, I have to have a UPI account somewhere, maybe with Paytm, you have to have a UPI account somewhere, maybe with whatever, HDFC bank. Only then can we send UPI to each other, which is routed to our bank. Which means there is these organizations that we have to be part of, which have to especially in the case of the lower income or very lower income category people, they may not even have, they may not even be banked. India has 19 crore unbanked adults, but currency notes, any two people can transact. So in light of that, I feel that uh, digital currency, the way it has been defined is that if I have it, and of course I need a device and internet connection, that is a prerequisite, I can transfer it to you, even if neither of us has any institutional account or affiliation very much the same way as we transfer paper-based money. That I think is the most outstanding feature. Then of course the fact that it can be programmed and can be made more intelligent than dumb digital money which is what we presently use uh, almost everywhere in the world is the redeeming quality. It is very different from cryptocurrency in from an investor's point of view because one Indian digital currency issued by RBI, one rupee will always be equal to 1 rupee coin of India, will always be equal to 1 rupee of UPI, NEFT or whatever. So there is no speculative element where it is just a technological innovation. However, it has similarities because it will probably move on a blockchain or similar structure. So technologically, they are identical to other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, etc. But in terms of functionality, they are very different because they are a central entity. Most notably, the monetary policy. As in who governs supply, demand and those how much will be released into the market. Well, the same RBI does it as the other Indian group. While in the case of cryptocurrencies, it is an algorithm that makes that deal. So, some similarities and some dissimilarities. You know, Ajit, this reminds me of the work that I was doing in Africa back in early 90s, sorry, late 90s and early 2000, where, you know, people used to transfer money using their prepaid charge from one to another and transact. And this seems to be now from a telephone, a mobile service provider, it is now to a central bank to regulate that. Very simply, I feel that's what a digital currency is going to look like in the future. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the when you were to charge, exchange mobile phone prepaid charge, you were definitely transmitting the sovereign rupee or whatever the currency, Nyara or whatever, Naira, to each other. But what was also happening was that its use cases were literally that it, it was as dumb. It was a digital representation of money and value. But it was as dumb, by dumb I mean non-programmable, as the paper rule. However, with blockchain, because there's right. an underlying internet-like structure, there might be programmability and ability to build apps on top. Pretty much like you know the difference between a feature phone and what we use currently, which is a smartphone. Both of them smartphone. can make phone calls probably as easily, but smartphones allow the creation of apps. And that is the big thing. Hey, Ajit, I want probably articulate the journey that you had fight against the government when you were 
part of the committee on the blockchain and cryptocurrency representing the industry and winning against the ban order. Can you give me your thought process? What was it that the court bought in and removed the ban? Because that becomes the preamble for future regulation of this cryptocurrency and this uh, what the government is now propounding to do all in the future. So, and maybe if there is a full ban on private cryptocurrency, then perhaps there would be another round of court cases falling through. So, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. So, I must first tell you that your question has made certain assumptions which are very commonly held in uh, India and based on media reports which have suggested it. But there is a, the absolute reality is a little different. First and foremost, our case, or for that matter, the case that you referred to, uh, the government was not party to that. They, the attorney general may have been asked some questions, which is a separate matter, but it was basically the IAMAI and other people who were clubbed into it with the Reserve Bank of it. Now, we may loosely say Correct. that RBI, government, and all is the same. So, I'm just trying to tell you one thing. Second thing is that there yeah. was never, there has never in India been a ban on cryptocurrency. Never. So, that was... There was no court case about that. Just to again specify, so that you know your viewers get a very clear idea. What happened in uh, end March 2018 was that having issued for years before that issued warnings to the public about you know the risks associated with participating in the crypto market, RBI actually issued a circular, which was either on 31st March or something like that, which told all its licensed entities. Fundamentally, they are banks, but then also payment gateways, payment wallets, and basically anybody who is licensed by RBI, that those people cannot facilitate transactions or hold accounts of people who are into crypto. Uh, which actually means that crypto is not banned, but you can't use banking channels to buy it. In fact, at that point of time, one of the senior government officials was questioned by Shirin Bhan, who is, you know, the chief editor or whatever editor of CNBC, if I'm not mistaken, that, you know, so you are banning it. They said, no, we have not banned it. So he said, then how will people transact? That chap, maybe jokingly, but on TV said, you can buy and sell in cash. Because, of course, some people are laughing and he was laughing, so I don't know how serious he was, but that is not the point. The point was that the buying and selling, even after that, act of buying and selling was not illegal, possessing was not illegal. You couldn't use bank accounts for that. So people started doing peer-to-peer trading which is largely untraceable, which of course, because of the banking ban, so the banking ban uh, should also have been banned, but you know, it is very difficult to find two people who are transacting money and know what the intention for that is. When we went to court, by the way, there were several court cases in several high courts and then in the Supreme Court, which were all clubbed together, which is a very common thing to do when, you know, subject matters are so similar. In I was party to all of this, by party to it, I don't mean party in the legal sense, but I was part of this entire initiative for the first three or four months in terms of briefing uh, the people who are going to defend us and coming up with how we are approaching this whole thing. Then, of course, there was so much data to be collected, which actually, very interestingly, that was the only point in Indian history, never before nor after, has so much accurate audited data been collected on the Indian crypto ecosystem. So, a lot of the numbers that you hear of today, such as even the 15 million number that you talked about, actually is some sort of an extrapolation from that number, which was once upon a time. Authentic. I do believe that the 15 or a max of 20 million is probably the correct number at the time of this conversation. But I'm telling you the basis of it. It's not as if companies have come and disclosed their numbers. So we worked on it. We talked about our right to carry on a trade. We said that the government has not said it is illegal. So how can we possibly work without this, etc., etc. And eventually, my employer, who have listed as ZPay, which is correct, and several other of the incumbent players faced huge heat and decided to shut business or modify business. 
substantially so i was no longer participant in the case for let us say the last 14 odd months that it ran uh, again just uh, probably there was a misspeech the january of 20 not 21 was when the uh, supreme court verdict so at that point of time while of course a judgment should not be trivialized into a sentence because there is a lot of reasoning that goes i think over 160 pages but what it came down to was that rbi's action was very disproportionately harsh right of actually banning and that was the basis on which finally the court case was won and uh, there were other factors and it was clear that it is not rbi but the ministry of finance or the government of india who should be making up their mind at the same time while the ban on banking was going on an interministerial committee headed by the then secretary to the department of economic affairs mr subhash chandra garg uh, was set up and they in february of 19 prepared a report which was effectively as in banning of course you know once again one word like banning does not capture like a 50 page report or even more than that this became public in august of 19 some sort of a media leak and when in the budget session of 21 uh, about a year before we are recording this the lok sabha agenda for the first time listed the bill that probably was the same that was created earlier because it listed the banning of private cryptocurrency monsoon session then ch winter session again had it on the agenda did not come up for hearing but one very interesting thing happened in the winter session um, which was in end of 21 that most party had started saying that banning is not option and towards the end of that session when we were thinking the bill may come up for discussion reserve bank of india again took the decision you know banning seems like the best idea then it came up in the budget session where tax provisions were clarified and specified some people were like okay we were expecting to be like shot dead instead we have just got a blow on our face so it is better than being shot dead some others felt that the tax provisions were unfair and the tax provisions are not coming to action at the time of this conversation probably some more clarifications would come in but all along one very interesting thing that happened is that the rbi which i would say largely has held the view that it is against cryptocurrency and that it thinks it should not be allowed it talks about banning i don't think there is any clarification as to what banning means because these are non trivial things but amongst other things the rbi started using relatively stronger language than this so for right. example the governor i think said that it is uh, it has not just does it have no value it does not even have a tulip referring to the tulip menu tulip correct yeah <laughs> and then the deputy governor came and said that it is even worse than a ponzi scheme as not just is there a ponzi scheme it is worse than a ponzi scheme so the reserve bank of india i don't think we can say it has tightened its stand but it has become more vocal about its stand against uh, cryptocurrency and it has said that all things considered probably uh, not probably all things considered banning seems like the best way forward so that is the entire journey that i have i really appreciate setting the whole context of what has happened uh, so far i want to shift gears here and understand what are the fears of not just indian government and reserve banks or the central banks but across the world there are reservations and these could be uh, ranging from money laundering investor protection supply demand safe havens and you know using for anti social and terrorism activities then the technology and safety pricing valuation there are tons of issues where various uh, government and regulators including the central banks have certain fears of block block of blockchain in their minds perhaps i would say that <laughs> how perhaps allay some of these fears having put this whole context of where we have come journey in this country why are the central bankers so averse to uh, having a crypto or a private currency is do you think 
that their role is going to get over that they will not be able to manage the or regulate the money supply interest and whatever they need to do to to manage the monetary system on their country or are they going to feel powerless and have no policy or control over this uh, private cryptocurrency so what's the overarching fears that i would love to first get and then let's talk about how do we create a enabling environment and a regulation to manage this which is a win win for everyone okay so just as a little tangent before i answer the, the before i clearly and directly answer the question it is what private cryptocurrency is a very strange word it is private in the sense that it is not created by the government or governmental agency or institution but in reality the bitcoins and the ethereums and stuff are not private they are actually owned by every human being who chooses to participate in that network so in the crypto world these are referred to as public cryptocurrencies but in the regulatory networks these are referred to as private cryptocurrencies which is a very interesting thing but now answering your question so if i were to take several of the things you listed as concerns and i were to try to put them into buckets i must begin by saying that you know i am not and frankly nobody is saying you know let there be cryptocurrency the rest of our existence be damned as we definitely want to live in a society which has rule of law where there is safety where there is equality where there is justice etc so i must actually agree that a lot of concerns that governments have are very genuine now how do you instead of allaying those concerns because i have already agreed that they are genuine concerns i want to put some perspective on it so let's begin the first concern uh, okay let's list the four big concerns it will be used for wrong purposes and those list of wrong purposes can be infinite right as in some of those sound so bad that i don't okay. like to stop for this but using it for wrong purpose second is evasion of taxation so there is some form of taxation even in countries which don't have taxation there may be some other form form of taxation like structures and the government will lose track of the its ability to trans, monitor transactions and it loses revenues from tax so that is the second one the third one is about consumer protection that you know people will be taken for a ride and the small guy will suffer and the big cunning guy will take away all the money and i think that the all three of these are very valid and probably if i have to add one more why this may not be a concern for literally all countries in the world but any countries that have capital control norms might worry that capital flight may occur for example the indian rupee is not completely you know floating or convertible there are restrictions on how much money you can take out of india and for what purpose in crypto the fear is there may be capital flight and you may take them away i agree that all four are very genuine concerns but let us address because i think that one way to address them is by not addressing them say just binary as if we should not want to face this that could be one way and several people are saying that is the only way i think that if we had done that we would not even have allowed the internet to go because internet also bad things can happen bad people can communicate and not be monitored etc so without stretching that analogy too much first is the use of crypto for bad purposes i think that yeah that is a genuine concern i think that if somebody is making let us say a ransom demand they will not give you their rtgs and nft details and send money there right as in i think that will not be the case but at the same time you know what is the most misusable form of money it is currency notes and if you look at the actual studies that are coming out one was from the city of the from the state of washington where some study had been done and there are some studies here and there including some numbers coming out of from india which show that while cryptos may have definitely been used for bad purposes but compared to currency it is literally like 1/10000 or less so we don't use this reasoning to say let us ban cash we have not said cash notes should not be used because they are so heavily misused so i think that we have to find other mechanisms to accept that there is a certain degree of anonymity but we have to live with it just like there is fake news spreading on social media we don't say let's ban on fear second thing is around the the evasion of taxation now there actually trying to ban it versus the situation for example all of crypto 
uh, where transactions take place could be divided in types of locations. One I would call dark pool. By dark pools, I mean people don't know who is transacting with whom and those transactions are happening. And the second is lit pools. Lit pools is where there may be an element of KYC. Maybe the identity, the bank account, the location, the address and stuff might be known. The good thing is that in a blockchain, you know, A gives to B. Nobody knows who A is or B. B gives to C, gives to D, gives to E, gives to S. But S has taken this money into their some crypto exchange is it KYC. So now we know who F is. The moment we know who F is, we can ask, okay, you got money from E or you got crypto from E. Who is E? Even if the person doesn't know, you say, okay, I was on exchange ABC XYZ, that is where I got it from. So you can actually back. And today, because these are purely digital transactions, you don't have to manually backtrack. You can actually have tools which are called chain analysis tools, which can help you locate such people, which is why if you can even find some traces here and there, you can make the picture of the whole thing. And I think this, the t- introduction of the TDS, not 30% tax, but the introduction of the TDS, actually, one of its objections for if international viewers are watching, TDS is tax deducted at source, which is basically withholding tax. So the introduction of withholding tax actually creates markers in this entire transaction chain where you can identify because you need to know who withheld whose tax for both sides of the coin are known. So I think that taxation actually gets help if you don't ban it but instead requires certain discipline. The third problem relates to capital flight. Actually, that's the fourth one. But let's list that as the third. I think that that is definitely a challenge. And different sovereigns who have different requirements can implement certain ring fence mechanisms in the meanwhile, which people in the crypto world will very much hate because they feel that is to avoid that crypto came about as a universal global currency. But at the same time, at least to get started, that is one of the things that could be done that you can buy and sell and transfer in a closed user group or into a, you know, within your exchange or within fight and exchanges, it will significantly reduce the usage of crypto and definitely stifle innovation. But some countries have taken that approach as, okay, let's do the baby. So that is the third one. And the fourth one, which actually I've forgotten as to what I had listed was one of the concerns of the consumer protection. Consumer protection, I think, is the only... Consumer and fraud protection, I would say. Yeah, 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 correct. Consumer fraud, forgery, etc., Ponzi scheme, etc., I think that that is the only part of concerns which literally 100% of the people agree is wrong, should be avoided at all costs. And in a paradigm which is as juicy sounding that, hey, somebody put in 100 rupees and 10 days later it became 200 rupees and the people are becoming millionaires overnight or in the period of a year or so, uh, there will always be fraudsters, scamsters who will come up and try to prey upon the ignorant and give them like, you know, too good to be true get rich quick kind of opportunity. So I think that this area has to be very, very heavily, you know, you have to come down with a very heavy hand on this. Coincidentally, mis-selling of financial products is not new to India or the rest of the world. They may not have been crypto products, Correct. but you know, I don't want to start listening. Mis-selling is very common. Even hedge funds and other investment products. Oh, absolutely. You, you live at all, just so many years and history is strewn with that. And crypto definitely has all the characteristics of being heavily missold. Since we have dealt with mis-selling, of these products and how advertisement can be done, how returns have to be specified, like SEBI itself tells mutual funds how to do that, etc. Those rules, if nothing else, we can just inherit from existing systems that have been created. And then, of course, more evolved crypto-specific regulations and disclosure mechanisms will come in. So these are the areas and I have told you what I feel about them. I do agree that there are concerns which are very genuine for all citizens, even on governments and central bankers, because we are all part of one system. But I cannot see how this leads us to say, you know what, 
let us just close our eyes and just not do innovation, not use technology. And because frankly, we would all have to like just shut everything. We would have to not allow cars because they sometimes kill people. Absolutely well put, Ajit. I think there is a lot of wisdom where you are counteracting the fears uh, in the regulators and the bureaucracy. You know, I was talking to one of the bureaucrats, not to be named here, who is working behind the scenes on this whole regulation of crypto and the crypto bill. And one of the things that he told me is that, you know, we don't like the cryptocurrency, but we like blockchain. I said, but that is the underlying technology. If you don't have anything on top of it, what are you going to do? You are just building the rails. There's no railway carriage to go on top of it. So where will you go from point A to point B to regulate this whole cryptocurrency or thing? So this sort of you know, naiveness there with some of the bureaucrats at this point in time. I'm sure you may be also feeling about it when you are uh, walking in the in Delhi and, and some of the bureaucrats who are behind the scenes working and consulting with you on the uh, proposed cryptocurrency bill. How do you address these sort of mental blocks people who have just half knowledge and don't want to understand the other part or other industries' uh, woes and what the opportunity for the country could be by maybe technology, outsourcing, services, which India could become uh, another global outsourcing hub to manage all this for the rest of the world. How do you bring the use case and a case for a better and enabling regulation when they don't understand the full big picture? So, while you are right that not just in the case of cryptocurrency, but in every case, when somebody doesn't want to listen, you can't make a good argument. But I must tell you, that my experience with Reserve Bank of India, SEBI, Ministry of Finance, within that Department of Economic Affairs, all of them, I mean, I could just keep going on and on. My experience actually has been very good. Probably it has been good because I was always there when they invited me. It was not as if we were trying to make our way inside and think, please listen to me. So they were, I found quite receptive. And I must tell you that while given their compulsions, they probably are reaching conclusions which I disagree with, but the analysis of the starting point is not different. For example, of 14th of February 2022, which is just a few days before this, this is being recorded, the Deputy Governor of RBI actually made a speech at the Indian Bankers Association. And if I were to just divide the speech into two parts, the first half and the second half, the first half was beautiful. I was so happy that this person understands what it is, as in all the dimensions of it, all the arguments, etc., the second part, which where he said that he's going deeper into it, and hence rightly so he shared his conclusions and opinions. There, of course, my view is differing than his because he's led to the fact that, that the arguments are not right and we don't need it and the benefits are very little and it should be banned. So the conclusions, while he's of course welcome to his own conclusions and he has to do the best for the purpose that RBI has been built and probably is doing that. But it is very interesting that most of the people that I have interacted with, it is not that they don't understand, okay, which is a common perception. Like a lot of people I talk to, they say, you know, government doesn't understand, bureaucrats don't understand. What I find is that, you know, we are dealing with intelligent people here. We are dealing with people who have faced very complex issues. I think that what tends to happen is uh, why, despite understanding their conclusions and our conclusions are different, is that we are a little more optimistic and we look at all the upside. We look at how great things can be, how India can progress, entrepreneurship can be created, ventures can be created, India can have finally its day under the digital sun as opposed to always being a decade later. At the same time, they are very heavily driven by what can go wrong, right? So, which, by the way, I'm not blaming them for it, but at the same time, it is like, you know, you and I have been part of Right in the introduction, you talked about we have been part of investment in certain startups. And uh, we 
let us say there are good founders, right? The two buckets of founders, one is the founder who is out there to win and second is the founder who is out there to not lose, right? While they sound like the same, but often very, very different conditions, right? So I think that that may account right. for why it is taking a little bit of time and why there is such difference of opinion. Luckily, this is a global phenomenon. Very few countries can remain isolated and insulated. India has never tried to be you know, economically isolated from the rest of the world, especially countries like the US fundamentally, which drives a lot of economic thinking or monetary thinking around the world. Then also, of course, England and Singapore, maybe to a peripheral effect to some extent Canada, Australia and other countries. So, given that there is some international precedent to all of this, I think that I don't see India going about in the isolationist way. India did not ever ban Google, India never banned Facebook, which China did, for example. Uh, I don't see it happening. Ajit, let me pivot this whole issue. If you were the bureaucrat drafting the new crypto bill, how would you tell the various parts of the crypto bill that it is enabling, it is safe for both the investors, the consumers, all the ecosystem players and it gives government a full access the income generated by this ecosystem by way of tax so there's so no here's the thing. No, how would the you think that... or imagine a regulation or the crypto bill where all these concerns and all the parties are taken into confidence and they operate harmoniously without you know other lobbying and then we have to go run to delhi to fiki to the lobby change this to change that like what happened in gst and many other uh, new re- new age regulations that have come about you know let me first begin by a very high level answer that i think it cannot be done not just in crypto but in any sphere of regulation whether it's banking or gst or any of those because the environment is very rapidly changing even if it takes a few months to draft such legislation leave alone a few years, the world of crypto is just so fast moving that every underlying assumption changes. Having said that, are we hopeless? Not at all. Let's look at what some of the other countries have done. I would say that if you look at what England is doing, what America is doing, what Singapore is doing, although there are shades of difference in all of these, you don't need a crypto-specific bill. I think that that is the problem. That sort of thinking that, you know, just like Malta or Cayman Islands or Estonia, they have crypto bills. Like Malta has the Virtual Financial Asset Act, right? And other uh, countries also have a digital Assets Act. I don't think that is required. Where is America's Digital Asset Act? Where is Singapore's Digital Asset Act? Where is England's specific Digital Assets Act? What I'm trying to get at is if you see the fairly advanced economies which do stakeholder consultations and know that all of these processes are evolutionary and never perfect, the efforts that they have taken, and by the way, I hope that your listeners understand that I'm naturally oversimplifying, otherwise this podcast would have to continue for days, not minutes and hours. Uh, but it is still... No, I understand because this goes to 300 million listeners across the world. Some yeah. of them crypto naive. Some of yeah. them will be crypto maniacs as well. Yeah, so I would say crypto maniacs are a very good term. Thank you. I personally think... There's I a song not, called I... crypto maniac. Which I put it on my playlist as well when the crypto oh. bill came in. <laughs> okay, I'm not a... I, I don't like to call myself a maniac of any sort. Having said that, a lot of these advanced economies actually have started reading their existing regulations to include crypto or they may even have reached some existing regulations such as the money transferring regulation, money transfers act in the US or the e-money act in the European Union or the payment services act in Singapore which by the way are not crypto specific regulations they deal with much broader issues but they either have been read to include cryptocurrency 
or they may actually have tweaked their existing regulation a little, maybe introduce a para clause or sub, sub clause or whatever to include it. And that is how these countries are effectively regulating cryptocurrency. And here, ladies and gentlemen, the most insightful thing you are hearing on this en- this entire podcast, actually India has done that. If you look at the budget of February 2022, we actually made formal edits in our Income Tax Act. Specific sections were introduced, words were changed, replaced, etc. So we have actually done exactly what the world's greatest economies have done, namely take their existing securities acts, existing income tax acts, existing indirect tax acts, existing acts around various sorts of AML, KYC, compliance, etc. and just tweak them to include crypto. So India actually, that is why when people started saying that, oh, by imposition of tax, crypto has become legal or become formal in India, while those are far-fetched uh, conclusions, technically speaking, the fact is that India did change its existing statute, the tax statute, to include an understanding of crypto, which is a great first step. And it puts us into the same category as the America, the England, the Singapore, etc. of the world, which I think is a good company to be in. Now, if our GST Act also, and our SEBI Act also, and our RBI Act also, could be read to include some aspects of crypto, or maybe some can be made. Uh, to our FEMA also, to our PMLA also, and all of those acts which touch crypto, I think you don't need a crypto bill. Probably there will be a time in the future where not just if you have a crypto bill, you may have a crypto regulator. But it's evolutionary, right? So we will see that as it comes. For now, I think the Indian legal system is robust enough to just make minor modifications and coexist with cryptocurrency. A great summary of what could probably be the new regulatory framework, other than just the new bill that we are keep reading the leaks and the hacks of it in the media these days, and maybe some bit of in the fake media as well, fake news media <laughs> as well. I want to take up a few points of people, and these are people who are fairly high on the financial markets chain, like JP Morgan, uh, Jamie Dimon, was very much negative. He said it's a fraud and it'll die, but it's not. Similarly, you know, you have Elon Musk doing the other side of things. To be having some sort of players in our financial markets who seem to be making statements and it seems to probably look like whole cryptocurrencies are are fairly speculative asset. What can we do to make this look a bit more stable asset? And I want to just add another corollary uh, of some work that we were doing, create a hedge on in our own algo-based uh, hedge fund on crypto. We looked at and analyzed it, and we did a lot of depth in the market. Then I'm talking about 2017. Now, there are various sides to this coin of it will exist it will not exist in future and that is what i be one of the reasons why these regulators are also thinking that it's a passing fad and it may probably die down what is your take and your message to the regulators and the people in the financial markets here so uh, just two parts though right? one is you know the you did not list warren buffett but you can see jamie Dimon while he did speak negatively about crypto Shortly thereafter, JP Morgan had deaths that it was helping their customers get into crypto. But Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger and whole host of other people have since day one been constantly opposed. Somebody like Nassim Taleb was initially seeming like he was pro-crypto and now he seems anti-crypto. You gave the example of Damodaran and how he has ran crypto. So I think that both sort of self-serving examples are available. If you want people who are huge fans of crypto, you will find some gods of finance who are and some who are not. I personally think that... Yeah, the Wilkin, uh, Wilkin Ross brothers, the first crypto billionaires, they lost right. the Facebook, but they made it somewhere else. Yeah, so, you know, what I think that the correct approach here, by the way, I'm a huge fan of Warren Buffett, despite his view on cryptocurrency and despite the fact that in 10 years, 
He has not even been able to generate index returns in the stock market where he is supposed to be a guru. But despite both of those things, I hear his advice and I think there is a lot of sagacity. So calling the sage of Omaha, I think it is definitely, you know, the moniker is worth it. But what I am saying is that how does one deal with this? As in, like on the one hand, I say Warren Buffett is great. On the other hand, I say that I disagree with him on cryptocurrency. So am I greater than him? I think that that is not the correct way to look at it. What has happened is that human beings, okay, there is no human being alive today. Even if there are some who may be 152 years, 100 years old, I don't think anybody is that old. But there is no human being alive today who was around when a new asset class was created. Like if you look at all the biggest asset classes, there is real estate. I'm sure a thousand years ago, people had some sort of real estate rights or ownership rights over land. There is gold or precious metal. There is ownership-based asset, whether you call it equity or partnership or whatever. So there are various asset classes. There is energy-based or oil-based, etc. But these have existed since forever. Cryptocurrency has challenged our thinking because it is the first time in probably generations that we have once again faced the emergence of an asset class. Think about it as, you know, the first time gold was discovered. And some people thought, oh my God, this is great. And some others thought, eh, it's just one more of those shiny things. And who cares about it? So we are in that moment. So it is literally going to be impossible, literally going to be impossible to try to take a view and hold on to it forever. In addition, adoption or acceptance is anyway a key driver. Like right in the beginning, I said that people don't adopt crypto. They don't want to give any value beyond zero to Bitcoin. Then Bitcoin has no value. So given that we don't know how these things will evolve, given that the use cases while they exist, clear use cases of crypto exist, the fact is that still the total market cap of all crypto in the world today is around $2 trillion at the time of recording this conversation. And Apple computers itself is greater than $3 trillion, which is like one company, although a very big one. So to that extent, it does seem like a fringe activity. In fact, though in March of 18, Reserve Bank of India took an adverse view on the banking support to crypto industry. In February of 18, in one of their studies, I don't know what term they use, they probably use just venture, virtual currencies to describe this. They themselves said that at present, this is a very fringe activity and if it remains there, there is no challenge. But it starts moving mainstream, a mainstream, there would be a challenge. So yes, I think that some of the points and assumptions that these people are making are right. But everyone, the one who supports crypto as well as the one who opposes crypto, end up necessarily having to make some leap of judgment to reach a consensus because we cannot compare it to established asset classes like the 5000 years of gold or the 100 odd years of equity markets somewhere in the world etc. So given that limited number of people, the limited value and the limited track record, we necessarily have to make certain leaps of judgment and when we do that, we are all going to reach different conclusions. I think personally, I am convinced that this is the future. I have held my career into it. You yourself talked about the fact that Ajit had different background and he has moved to that. I'm one of the oldest people in crypto, coincidentally. And usually I meet people in their 20s who probably have a far more open mind than people who have gone through decades of trade training. It's like, you know, you live your entire life in one religion. That religion might be the traditional world of finance, the traditional world of stock markets, etc. And suddenly these youngsters come and tell you that, you know, there's a better God or there is a better, shinier religion. Well, people don't give up their that, right? So that is the analogy that I'm drawing right. about the generational difference. I want to bring in another issue about the future potential and consortiums that are now getting built. There is a one consortium that just got announced very recently to give investor confidence and also work and collaborate with the government to draft a better regulation so that it is enabling for them to operate in the country. How do you think these sort of consortium probably lead to market side 
or this dynamics in the marketplace when they gang up create monopolies or something like that today they are brothers in arms and in future they become the gangsters by monopolizing the marketplace for cryptos what is your view here this a latent fear as well that the government wants come and be a regulator to or that these sort of acts or misdemeanors do not happen in future so at present what you're calling consortium they could be industry body they could be think tank they could be operating in a wide variety of ways they could be national or global etc i don't see much of that action happening in fact i used to be the head of what at that point was called the blockchain and cryptocurrency committee which is part of iamai which is the internet and mobile association of india the name has changed to you know both recognize that the everybody now likes to call them crypto assets and now it is not a committee but a council so today it is referred to as a blockchain and crypto assets council having said that so i have been part of this we have represented to various agencies sbi rbi ministry of finance etc this is old news i am no longer part of it but i must say that if the intent of these bodies is good for example in the software industry nascom i think nascom has played a huge role in making india the super the software superpower if the intent and attention and cohesion of these groups is good lot of good things can come out of it to the extent that you know because take the case of the advertising industry advertising prone to exaggeration and almost sounding like lies so advertisers themselves got together and set up ascii which is the advertising standards council or committee of india it is council and they now okay. you know monitor or you know pass some judgment on situations that arise in terms of truthfulness in advertising i think that an sro which is a self regulated organization which would be like you know ampi association of mutual funds of india or coai which is a cellular operators association of india as opposed to trai which is the governmental regulator of telecom regulator authority Correct. of india i think that the sro which is a self regulatory organization the need of the hour there is no doubt about it and the only thing is that many attempts many attempts including bacc itself being the sro have been made we have spent large number of lakhs of tens of lakhs in drafting such sros and getting members to agree etc there are two challenges with sros first the sro does not have teeth so if they say okay members should do this or the industry should do this and somebody doesn't they don't necessarily have teeth this is coupled with the second point because the it's whip related. is not there yeah so the second part has to be that an sro becomes an sro a self regulated a self regulated organization only with the blessings of the regulator right if the blessings of the regulator are not there it is just a bunch of people who are acting all self important right so i think it is an inevitability even if there is a regulator for example crai is a regulator but there is still a coai right sebi is a regulator but there is still and even if there is a regulator there is room for a well meaning body such as this like nascom exists right so i think that it is an inevitability industry players have to recognize so industry players recognize this but they are not giving it enough bandwidth and seriousness I think that is also one of the challenges that the Indian blockchain slash crypto community talked about NASCOM. We have some reports from NASCOM also on the crypto side, and recently Intel has launched new chip for Bitcoin mining as well. So there is a lot of investments that are happening both internationally from the technology side in India from a service point and product point of view. And I feel that India, the government's vision. is to make india the the drone capital india is the second largest drawer uh, of crypto assets as we speak why can't from a technology point of view government enables this positively to also ensure that india is the crypto capital of the world as well maybe move new york uh, as a financial uh, global financial capital to bombay or or bangalore as the crypto 
world crypto captain why so is there is sort it? of a vision lacking in our in us or the conviction lacking in us what is very interesting that the deputy governor of rbi's uh, statement on february 14 2022 actually mentioned this that there are people who think that india is very well positioned to become a global leader because it has all the ingredients i don't think he listed all the ingredients but these are like technically qualified people large population ability to use digital devices penetration of mobile internet and devices etc so he actually addressed it so the challenge is this so first of all by the way i agree india pretty much like in the software industry is poised to become the global capital of crypto however uh, just like our enabling frameworks to make software products or our attitude and mentality to make software products came much later we were really service providers right from coders to bpos etc here also we run the same risk that eventually we will let everybody else make products so we, we make products part of products. that journey to invest into those product companies initially that is correct that is correct right. so i fear that we may just not have learned from history and we probably have to take the bus next day because we always miss the bus the first i hope that is not the case and let, let me put it this way if two years down the line or n years down the line is half a year down the line four years down the line doesn't matter we are going to accept crypto and you know have all of this in place which is what i feel is an inevitability why kick and push and struggle against it so much today why not embrace it as an inevitability and make the most of it rather than give up the ben- benefit to the whole world the brain drain that the crypto industry is seeing is unprecedented it is higher than the brain drain that the software services body shopping were experiencing in the early to late uh, uh, 1990 correct me if i'm wrong in stating the whole problem of governance crypto in our country if we were to form a new department of crypto should it sit in the ministry of finance or should it sit in the ministry of information technology so i don't know the answer to that to be to be honest and i just hate the very idea that you know a turf war of some sort would be triggered and uh, nothing would move etc which is why no, i'm just trying to simplify are we going to be tech heavy or are we going to financial services heavy in future where if we were to create a, a new department or a ministry of crypto or whatever uh, from a governance point of view where would it sit as a so part I, I of in ministry of finance or we would it a part of a try and <laughs> the ministry of <laughs> it and telecom right right so you ministry of finance or ministry of uh, electronics information technology telecom etc i have a very clear answer if you really want a solution it has to be ministry of fintech <laughs> okay you hit the nail <laughs> yes that is the only way because these are not different anymore they are the same thing correct and and we are we have seen some bad apples in fintech i'm sure we are going to see some bad apples in uh, our crypto as well some fly by night operators and some fraudsters but that doesn't mean that the whole industry is tainted is what i conclude from your talk and the way the regulation should be enabling the whole ecosystem before i part ajit what is this stealth mode that you are working yeah, on so, so i have been entrepreneur a few times in my life first i i'll ignore you know student time semi businesses i might have done still i remember very fondly but even if we don't call them as entrepreneurship though i thought they were first time i became entrepreneur in the year 94 then in the year 2004 uh, then i set up an accelerator some i think in 2016 or 15 16 probably and now i think it's time for me to turn entrepreneur again and uh, because it's stealth mode it is like you know so that's like saying secret so if i tell it to you it won't be secret anymore so i'm not going to tell you the details of it but yeah i am going to be i'm entrepreneur yeah. again lot of stuff over the last few years i have been thinking about building in my head etc 
and uh, i'm not coming up with my own cryptocurrency so i can tell you that okay that is of any consequence to anybody who is wondering whether there will be an ajit token that will somehow come up no that is not on the cards but i do see a huge opportunity in uh, the crypto space i find myself uniquely positioned to take advantage of the relationships and knowledge i have so let's become entrepreneur again excellent ajit i wish you all the best and you know as you have navigated some of our angel investments very successfully i feel that the entrepreneurial hat that you wear is obviously going to turn very bright in a sunrise industry which is emerging in india and growing very steadily let's hope that the regulation and the bills do not be a party pooper that's a big risk and on us personally we thought we will list our reit as a token and then we pulled back after legal opinion and all that what happened during the covid pandemic with various stakeholders making cross purposeful statements and we thought we will go the paper way at this point in time when we are going to exit our investments into the markets but we are keeping fingers crossed the enabling environment and the markets are mature maybe we may partially do a dual listing if that is possible in the future where you can even tokenize as well as you can list it on the bourses and you make it fungible like Sounds what we have dual best, listing in india I, I and uh, and the nyc and nasdaq of some of our indian stocks i guess that is what i am waiting forward to see if could be possible in the near future with the new regulation but i really appreciate you taking our time and talking very candidly with us sharing your experience and rightly you have been a great uh, first mover and a thought leader of this age band we come from to talk about something which is very young and youngish with the younger generation so I really appreciate and thank you so much for taking in the time out and talking to us. Before I let you go, I need to make a few announcements. I'd like to thank our sponsors for making this possible to gab Ajit and talk on this subject. What I also want to announce is our next podcast is on happiness and we are getting the ex-governor of Pondicherry, Dr. Kiran Bedi, to talk about good governance and happiness and I hope to come back soon and talk about it. Thanks Ajit for being our guest on the show. Thank you very much. Good luck. Bye bye.